Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Morality of Everyday Things. I'm Ant. And I'm Jake. And we're actually testing a new format here. So on the back of the feedback forms that we put out, one of the most consistent bits of feedback was we want to hear from you guys more often. More regularly, more predictably. The other thing was that people wanted to hear more of our genuine disagreements and thoughts. Um, and so we kind of thought, well, the problem is we're such busy boys. Uh, we, think we've, <laughs> <laughs> we think we've come up with a format that will help us fill your longing for, for Ant and Jake time. We're going to now try and release uh, every other week or so a little hot take session where we discuss questions that listeners have sent in or things in the news that have recently caught our attention, starting with this week. Uh, this is actually something I'd posted about on LinkedIn. For those who don't know, I'm a bit of a big dog on the old adult social media network. And describes himself as a LinkedIn influencer. Make oh. of that what you will. I'll have you know, I have had 30,000 impressions in the last seven days on my LinkedIn. Is that good? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, in response to something that someone had posted about the refugee crisis in the UK and specifically uh, the recent kerfuffle with Gary Lineker. What did you put on LinkedIn and what was your post? Basically, someone had written about it and I wrote, I'll do it in more detail at the right point, but I basically wrote that I actually think it's so crazy that there's all of this fighting over taking refugees when actually it sounds, I mean, I know there's a cost at the moment, but like really it's, you know, in a post-Brexit world, we should be bringing more young people. And also I personally have the controversial opinion that like more developed European, North American countries, Latin American countries too, should actually be actively encouraging their population growth. We have stagnating populations. And from a purely international relations kind of geopolitical safety perspective, uh, I'm a little concerned, you know, what happens when the inevitable happens and China is like by far and away, the, you know, as their population will eventually make the case, the most economically powerful nation on the planet. And, you know, they're run by a authoritarian government who do not have concerns for human welfare. I see. You're saying if they become a global superpower and we don't have the same humanitarian standards in place. Yeah, I'm saying basically at the end of the day, population wins out, mm -hmm. right? And if there are countries that we're concerned, uh, I'm sounding very xenophobic. I have, no, <laughs> I, I have no problem with the average Chinese person, obviously. Yeah. My problem is with the regime. But yeah, I mean, basically they're going to become more and more powerful by sheer weight of people, mm -hmm. right? And then at the same time, we have declining populations because we're sub-replacement rate. So replacement rate is about 2.1 per woman. I think in the UK, we're like 175 or something. Yeah, I think I had 1.8 in my head. I don't know. Also true. makes a pension crisis waiting to happen. Mm -hmm. You know what happens when you have way more old people who aren't doing productive work? Again, another reason we should be welcoming young people. Well, that's empirically the case for sure. Yeah, yeah. but sorry, that, that was a little diatribe. It's in that context, I basically wrote something like, why are we not welcoming young people who are, you know, thankful to be i mean that's that sounds so entitled but you know what i mean like they're literally like i am just glad to be somewhere i'm safe <laughs> mm, mm. like I, you know we, we we're like oh we can't we can't fill jobs and also don't forget a lot of refugees sorry i don't mean to stereotype like, oh low-skilled jobs blah, blah, blah. a lot of refugees are high-skilled people who were fleeing who were fleeing yeah. right yeah, who like to give up everything you know I, I guess maybe the highest skilled were able to leave you know a little earlier and through conventional routes but still you're getting like you get mid-level people who are like by all means like overqualified for the type of jobs they'd come and do here that's actually one of the things in labor economics i remember we studied generally people kind of take a kind of downwards diagonal step in order to move to a more secure economy that's pretty conventionally something that we found 
why are we not welcoming those people? That was a really long way of saying that's why I wrote. <laughs> yeah, nice and succinct, mate. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> um, it does sound like you kind of agree with, well, roughly agree with the opinions of Gary Lineker. Uh, for the avoidance of doubt and, and uh, for being as clear as possible, I'll give you guys a quick run through of the timeline of what has been happening. If you haven't been following it in the news, if you have, I'll try and keep this short anyway, um, just so you're up to the same page as we are. Wait, Gary wait, 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 Jake. Since I spent so long faffing around it, should I just read the LinkedIn comment quickly? Go on, yeah, do your post. What I said was, someone had written about the whole crisis, and I wrote, another funny perspective, in a country of stagnating overall growth, with the birth rate below the replacement rate, should we not be actively welcoming more young people who have a burning desire to come and build a real life here? I personally think the moral imperative is enough to mandate action even if it did cost us, but in reality, I can see a path to helping being a sound, self-interested economic policy over the right time horizon. Nice. Very eloquently put. We'll definitely come to discussing what the arguments for accepting refugees are. I mean, they're based on humanitarian, moral, legal, and even economic grounds, as you as you put there. And we can look at what the arguments are against as well, because those are obviously the ones that have informed the UK government's new policy. Um, but, Racism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On the but one now, hand, economic migrants. On the other hand, they're brown. <laughs> Sorry, that's not my view. That seems to be the government's view. In quotes. So... Intro to Gary Lineker and who he is and what's going on. He's a UK household name, but for our more international audience, he is a retired English professional footballer. He used to play as a striker. He comes from Leicester, uh, which is where he started his footballing career, but he went on to play for the likes of Everton, Barcelona, Spurs, and even a Japanese team. He was a genuine international big football star, played for the national team. But more recently, even more importantly, this will be relatable to our American audience, the English equivalent of Monday Night Football. And mm. it is literally, it's copied, I think, from NFL format Monday Night Football. The show where we play the highlights from the weekend on Monday night, we call it Match of the Day. I, I think well, that's called... our Saturday night show, isn't it? But... Oh, is it? Yeah. I, I never watched it. I, I, I'm pretty sure. Wait, I, they do I it have no idea. They, I, no, assume, they do I would it assume Match the of the Day came before. No, they do it after the matches, though. No, no. So Match of the Day is a big, it's a UK um, like institution, but it's, uh, it's Saturday night or Sunday night, uh, and mm -hmm. it's the roundup of the weekend's games. I, you know, I thought it was a Monday. <laughs> anyway, the format is very similar to Monday Night Football. They play the highlights and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and, and they Gary, do their analysis. Gary will analyze and, yeah. and, 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 and much like presenters. Much like the NBA and NFL equivalents, they tend to have very famous ex-players. Mm -hmm. So in this context, Gary Lineker is like the equivalent of Shaquille O'Neal or Charles Barkley. And he's done this since 1999. So he's been there for over 20 years. I think another relevant bit of context is he For most is people the, our age, he's more famous for the show than for playing football. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I never grew up watching him play football, but I've grown up watching him present Match of the Day. He's also the BBC's highest paid presenter. They're kind of a semi-public entity, so all the salaries get released. Uh, what was it? It's like multi, multi, multi-millions. <sighs> I actually don't know how much he earns. It's got, I think it's it is got a to be... Record. It's got to be five to 10 million a year. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely in the millions. And this is for a show that's once a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but like you say, I mean, he does do other sort of commentary and he'll analyze games and whatever. He's also he'll got play a, in the World Cup. He'll, he'll be yeah, there oh, he'll, yeah, he's a pundit. Yeah, like, like all the equivalents in the other sports. He, his brother is also a professional creep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Do you not know about this? Oh, his brother is just, uh, just, just Google Gary Lineker brother creep. He just is like an influencer type who just completely trades off being Gary Lineker's brother. I see. And like, I remember he had like some weird, sorry, I'm making accusations without even remembering the context here. He had like a weird list of like requirements for girls he date and, and all he dates girls much younger than him and all that. All right. I'm confident enough, just Google Gary. In fact, I'll do it now. Okay. Hot take session. Oh, it is a hot take session after all. So why not throw out, <laughs> throw out these allegations in the mix. Here we go. 
Gary's brother Wayne, 58, branded a creep for revealing bizarre criteria for his future girlfriend, which includes giving up her career, being able to cook, and loving R&B. He split from his ex fiance who was 31 years his junior. It's all pictures of him and young women in Ibiza. Oh, uh, was, she, was she too old for him? I don't know. Wow, there's like this whole thing he posted on Instagram. You'll need to spend the summer in Ibiza, the winter in Dubai, with two weeks in UK for Christmas. You can't have kids. Let's get back on track here. So no, no Jake, I don't want to talk about refugees. I want to talk about Gary Lineker's brother. Forget about Wayne Lineker for a second. Gary Lineker got into a lot of trouble recently, although the situation is now resolved. Uh, and we'll quickly run you through why. So, Suella Braverman, the UK sound like a criminal. Or Suella Deville. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a sort of cartoon villain. Yeah. She put out a video uh, that got a lot of attention recently in the news, and the sum of it it was introducing the UK's new migration bill, which was basically labeled Stop the Boats. This is in reference to boats that are trying to cross the channel exactly. illegally, the, yeah. the English Channel from France. You had an interpretation of this, I think, succinctly was just if people can't make it to sort of to the shores of the UK uh, to claim asylum, then that yeah, avoids kind of, the legal imperative, yeah, right? Yeah, it's a weird, we'll talk about like how asylum seeking and refugee status works, but basically like if they stop you before you get here, you're just illegal. But as soon as you get here, they have to help you. Mm. It's such a weird <laughs> kind of like moral, legal kind of loophole where it's like, well, if we stop the boats, then, right, then right, they right. never become refugees legally. And what's interesting is the, um, the narrative sort of suggested around the bill is that there's this huge influx of people. I mean, they were throwing out statistics in the video about how many people were making the crossing and, and pushing forward the story that the UK is just overwhelmed. And to this, Gary replied, good heavens, this is beyond awful. He did this in a tweet. There is no huge influx. We take far fewer refugees than other major European countries. This is just an immeasurably cruel policy directed at the most vulnerable people in language that is not dissimilar to that used by Germany in the 1930s. And I'm out of order. Rhetorical question mark. The rhetorical question mark was obviously me <laughs> annotating the question mark. He put this out uh, and caused uproar. The government replied they were disappointed to see this kind of rhetoric from someone whose salary is paid by the license fee. They kind of <laughs> Which, okay, this is a whole other problem. Right, well, they put pressure then on the BBC to deal with it. Oh, wait, 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 two things. One, I got the stats up. So for context, Germany takes, uh, in 2021, took about 130 million. France took about 130,000. France took about 100,000. And the UK took 45,000. And then the other one is, you said, for someone who's paid by the license fee. So this might be novel to Americans. In the UK, technically, if you have a TV and you watch terrestrial TV, you know, cable TV, you are obliged to pay for a license. And these fees go to the BBC. And increasingly, more and more people are like, look, the BBC isn't politically neutral. We don't want effectively a tax to fund a media organization where we don't have control over the biases it has and stuff. And you have so many streaming services already, right? And then that's yeah. the other thing. Like, no one watches TV anymore. So why the hell should I pay for this? Mm. It's funny that the government would name something, would use like as a weapon, something that is an unpopular government policy. Right, exactly. The Lineker thing obviously then gets worse. So a few days later, you've got the MP, Penny Morden, Tory MP, accusing Tory Labour. Tory is like the right-wing Conservative yeah, Party. from the Conservative Party here in power. Uh, she's accusing Labour of borrowing from Gary Lineker's playbook. And I think her exact words are, Labour are borrowing from Gary Lineker's playbook. Labour are a party of goal hangers and left-wing strikers. That doesn't work in politics. This country needs centre-forwards. Gary then cheekily replies, thank you for mentioning me and your clumsy analogy. I'm just happy to have been better in the six-yard box than you are at the dispatch box. Mm. Uh, so he's getting, yeah, there's, there's a tension. It's sort of spiralling a little bit. The situation gets worse. The BBC announced that Lineker is going to be suspended uh, and he's not going to present Match of the Day on Saturday. Everything then kind of centred around what is going to happen on Saturday with this programme. So, of course, you know, the refugees is one thing, but him not being on the football channel. It's amazing how stuff like this, obviously, yeah, it did generate more attention 
than the underlying bill, which is in many ways the more important thing. But I suppose indirectly is drawing attention to it. But yeah, in solidarity with the fact that Gary was suspended, all his co-presenters stepped back and then everyone who would have been in position to replace them said no you know out of solidarity we were a nightmare right exactly and then i don't like refugees <laughs> <laughs> eventually the the show airs with no presenters they just show the highlights there's no commentary so it's a bit of a must weird have been dead episode and the bbc's director i can't remember what his title is but like mr so yeah bbc director general tim davy flies back from wherever he is i don't know what he's done abroad discusses it mate, with gary he's allowed to be on holiday mate <laughs> not with the license fees that we're paying <laughs> not with the license fees <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> but no he, he he flies back and they have this sort of emergency talk and everything's resolved and gary actually doesn't have to apologize for what he said so he, he he's uh, you to know what, to be fair oh well this is the point of the hot take episode rightfully so i think so. um sometimes it's a bit lazy to invoke yeah, to invoke nazism it's like the ultimate like every argument falls back to nazis mm. um but you know, I, he's right that like even if you support stopping the boats which i happen not to we'll discuss that a bit more like the use of dehumanizing language has this profound impact on the way that we start to think about these people and deal with these people it was the same with the brexit thing where they were having these pictures of like lines of people coming from turkey which was in that case totally fictitious like don't get me wrong there are people trying to come across on boats is the government maybe overplaying or overstating how terrible the issues is I, to be honest with you I, I haven't followed it closely enough to make a statement like that but it's definitely happening to some extent uh but yeah to talk about these people as something other than humans in really desperate situations in need of help in a dehumanizing way yeah that kind of is how the germans were treating the jews exactly and there's two things to be discussed here there's the bill itself and what gary was saying and what you're just saying and where we stand on sort of the approach to migrants and then there's also the bbc neutrality element of the mm. argument can you say the thing about whoever it was they were like what? yeah well uh, this is <laughs> this is true so ella braverman the home secretary she personally reacted to gary's initial tweet saying she was really offended because her husband was jewish this is why she she so reacted badly in the first case it's genuinely the equivalent of like yeah well i have a black friend so so i'm not racist yeah so i'm not racist <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 which one do you want to tackle first do you want to talk refugee policy or do you want to talk bbc neutrality refugee policy so this is the thing you've said this already but they're making two big arguments around why we shouldn't accept refugees and in theory there are sort of three categories of arguments they could make the big one is the economic one they're just saying it's a drain on the uk's resources particularly things like housing healthcare. they throw out a stat about spending seven million a night on hotels for asylum seekers as if that's just like you know unsustainable and affordable yeah. or yep. as if that's the only option um, yeah yeah, yeah. i mean the alternative is you could make a better housing policy around that granted that's hard there's a shortage of housing but again also one of those things where it's like we're spending x money on the nhs and it's like well you're not throwing the money into a pit you're also funding local businesses with that right you're paying seven million to hotels in the uk it doesn't go into a void when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And it's interesting, there are two other themes of argument that they could make, which they don't seem to be here, although you have heard them before in the Brexit debates and other times. So one is security concerns, which is that accepting more refugees could pose a security risk because 
terrorists or other criminals could exploit the system to enter the UK. And then cultural concerns, which is that uh, accepting refugees could lead to social tension in the UK. Refugees may have different cultural values or customs. Accepting large numbers of them could lead to a disintegration of social cohesion and they might not integrate. They'll end up in isolated, marginalised societies. So that would also in its own way be a bad mm. thing. And there was a legal part to it, right? Well, the legal argument is, uh, is an argument for rather than right. against. Right. We'll come, but we'll these, come these are the arguments against accepting refugees. And really, the UK government is playing the economic So basically, short-term economic. To be fair, there's, it's also a bunch of bureaucratic hassle, right? I think the things that I would say is like short-term economic, my hot takes, hot take episode. Hot takes are kind of fair, but stupid. To, it's a stupid argument in the short term. Well, I kind of get it because we're in an economic crisis, etc. But like, one, doesn't matter moral imperative like these are people who are fleeing more often than not for those who i don't know enough about to be fair probably should have looked into it but like for it's people, a hard take episode you're yeah to. <laughs> for people for people who are not in genuine kind of like fleeing dangerous country situations and stuff like that mm. like i'm fairly sure the asylum system would filter them back to wherever they're supposed to go right like you can't just immigrate here illegally like we're talking about asylum seekers and refugees right like you don't cross the channel having a passport from ecuador and claim asylum you know with no reason right these are people who have a reason to claim these things yeah it's not the first time the uk government's done something unpopular like this because last year you may remember they introduced their rwanda policy which was that anyone who was deemed <laughs> this to was... be unworthy of actually claiming asylum would be sent to rwanda to complete their asylum yeah this was process. so like ridiculous it's so cruel it's almost funny they were just going to send people from wherever they came from to a country in africa to just hang out until they sorted their asylum stuff like it's this weird sort of snakes and ladders effect of like yeah yeah (laughs) you've got here oh no (laughs) i mean it would be like if america was just like yeah we're just gonna ship people to guatemala until we work out what to do with them (laughs) yeah I mean, Australia kind of does do that. Australia has like some islands where they send people to. Yeah, they do. It's it's big, big uh, controversial issue. Australia Um, is the one that the UK often cites actually as a kind of example. Why does it even cite Australia? Australia is like, no, don't do that. Like Australia is super racist. Like (laughs) stop citing Australia. Australia listed indigenous people as like flora and fauna until like the 70s or 80s or something (laughs) yeah but yeah these are you know the uk i think it's received condemnation for these kind of things before gary i think is absolutely right to have sort of used his platform and his fame to draw attention to this again because what they've missed with this policy briefly the arguments why we should accept refugees and and you said this already in your introduction but again there are three themes here there's the economic arguments which you made quite clearly there's the humanitarian argument which i think is the strongest one which is just that many people would think that we have a moral obligation as a more developed and prosperous nation to help and support people who are fleeing which is true from persecution conflict or other human rights abuses yeah i mean generally i'd say that's true and then thirdly there's the legal argument which oh is wait, the, wait wait so we didn't address on the other side though the cultural argument no we didn't that's true although I, it wasn't one that they were playing strongly as a card for oh uh, yeah no i think i well can i just quickly say of course non- nonsense the uh, uk's colonized half the world the uk's have waves of immigrants from loads of other places, mostly places we've colonized. You know, a lot of these immigrants are coming from places that have been destabilized either directly because of us or indirectly because of us, places like Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is nonsense. And it's like, it's this weird thing where like, <laughs> we keep, you know, in a healthy society, I, I generally would say like culture evolves and that involves new people coming often. And yet there's this constant kind of like, well, we need to keep it where it is. And it's like, well, the way we like it now is a result of change, right? Like. You think about the waves of uh, South Asian immigrants, you know, who, who've completely changed the landscape in, men, in many places around the UK. And, you know, for the better, like it, it's part of what we now think of as English culture. Caribbean people, you know, the Windrush generation. Yeah. Although they're also trying to kick some of the people who have never been to Jamaica, trying to kick them back. 
<laughs> like what are you doing <laughs> what are you doing nothing to <laughs> yeah. exile these people but it's true that forms that's now itself like a sort of recognized british cultural identity right yeah so it's so silly that we like then have this idea like no now we're going to freeze it in amber but sorry you were talking about some of the arguments on the other side let's go yeah the final argument in favor we talked about economic stuff which is quickly review them economic arguments humanitarian arguments and then legal arguments legal okay uh, in favor the legal obligation is that under international law we have a duty to protect refugees and provide them with access to asylum procedures this is a funny one because like i said the whole point of the stop the boats thing is if they don't get to the uk you're not not doing that you're just stopping them from being in a position to you're claim. actually right and that's the really they interesting have to, thing about like, this isn't do it? it from abroad which is much harder and slower this this is the interesting thing if you did want to weigh up the sort of scales of both these things you've got economic arguments for and against and although personally i'd lean towards the economic arguments in favor of the way you laid them out at the beginning you could ultimately be like well those balance the humanitarian argument i think is a really strong one i don't really i mean i feel like the, the humanitarian argument that wins the humanitarian argument surely is strong enough that the others are kind of details i get that policy is a multifaceted thing but in reality like the rest of it doesn't really matter we should do it because these it's are, the right thing to do. it's the right thing to do these people are in desperate desperate need like and that's the main reason most countries do take refugees there's not someone somewhere in the government doing a cost-benefit analysis actually i say that there probably is the real reason that you should take refugees is because it is the right thing to do agreed which makes the legal argument interesting because that's basically enshrining in law this moral imperative it's the the legal stuff is more about how you do it than why you do yeah it. but you're right because as you say, this whole sort of theme of stop the boats basically means that the legal argument doesn't stand. So it's just yeah. the loophole, effectively. Yeah, because, well, they also, to be fair, they're also talking about changing the law so that it's quicker and easier to send some people back. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I haven't read it specifically enough. Yeah, as you say, it's a hot take episode. Hot take. I have Carry all on. the details. But that's the discussion about refugees. And of course, I'd say this is going to be a hot take where we both agree the arguments in favor are much stronger. And therefore, I think Gary's comments were totally fair in terms of content. However, one element to the Gary debate, which we now need to discuss, is, of course, the use of his position in BBC neutrality. And that's right. that's where, I mean, an awful lot of people this agreed with Gary, serious. but this is the catch is that BBC has strict, although strict but vague, mm-hmm. <laughs> rules about this. Um, so Gary signed a five-year deal with the BBC in 2020 under which he agreed to adhere to their updated impartiality rules. The rules for news and current affairs journalists are really strict, and basically their personal accounts are treated as if they're part of the BBC's output. So anything you say is seen to be representing the BBC, and if you're there for... That's firstly something I disagree with. Well, that's that's just the rules. Though. I know, but I disagree with <laughs> Fair enough. Lineker is in a slightly grayer area because he works in the sports department, so he does have more freedom in theory to express his own opinion, but he should avoid bringing the BBC into disrepute. And mm. this is where... <laughs> he didn't. <laughs> if anything, he helped them. I, I'd agree. This is where you look at, I, I look at this and I think, you know what, he's laid down a moral marker and said, no, this is unacceptable. I, I think if anything, he looks like a good ambassador for the BBC. I don't really see why this is a case of being unimpartial when, when what you're doing is using your platform to speak out against the government policy that you deem inappropriate. I'm actually completely on his side and, and, and have been the whole time. I think on the whole impartiality thing, I understand the intention. It's kind of nonsense in general because... The whole idea of impartial, it's like when people say like without bias or like a fair or neutral perspective, right? There is no such thing as a fair or neutral perspective. There's just perspectives, right? And you might have like a more popular perspective or a on some scale middle of the way perspective. But like, remember, there's tons and tons of different dimensions you need to be in the middle of. We disagree on like how those scales look like and how they intersect between them like this idea that there is like some objective natural neutral opinion is nonsense the only neutral opinion is no opinion and actually sometimes even that (laughs) in practice in practice not expressing opinion sometimes 
you know, in the in a world of like tacit consent or with the concept of tacit consent, even that's not neutral sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right. Sometimes having no opinion or no answer is itself an answer. Yeah, I, th- I think the BBC commitment to neutrality is just like, it's this weird, amorphous, frequently criticized concept that I think is kind of philosophically impossible. But yeah, I actually feel like on it, like the BBC as a publicly owned, neutral, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I'm not generally for privatizing everything, but I kind of feel like this is a good example of where like them as a public channel, it's a bit of a relic and doesn't make tons of sense. Why? Well, for this exact reason, right? If you're going to be publicly funded, you need to be impartial, but it's impossible to be impartial. And on the one hand, it's nice to have like a moderator, but on the other hand, like, yeah, I don't know, free market economists sort of thinking would be like, well, you'll get a range of different opinions expressed by private media companies. And it's kind of the synthesis of this that helps people understand what the kind of common opinion is. The only problem is in retort to that, you might say, well, no, that's not what happens. People don't have a it's balanced like news feeds right yeah you people just people just kind of going down that's one. it people just like go further and further they push to certain sides so having like a mutually agreed like okay this is at least kind of middle opinion is in some way helpful and to be fair i think they're true that if you're not holding them to a ridiculous standard they do achieve that like mm. it is kind of the middle of the road opinion i think to be fair i don't follow enough but i think they're often accused of being quite right-wing well their ownership or directors or whatever there's definitely they've been accused of sort of funding the tory party uh or i say accused i mean that's that's happened that's empirically a fact and therefore the bbc or the people the, who are... the people who work there etc or like However, I, thought, I thought well jake will know because his partner is a journalist is journalism not generally as an interest industry quite like liberal left-leaning it's ironically it like i think right uh-huh. <laughs> it depends where you write for well yeah but i mean in general <laughs> like academia in general yeah there's like, like academia you get some of the craziest right-wing people but in general it's a liberal left-leaning area and I feel like journalism is that, but ironically, you don't make money doing that unless you're like very popular in the lib left sort of scene. You end up getting a lot of like lib left people writing for right wing outlets. That is certainly an impression. Which is basically your girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> That's certainly an impression I've had of, yeah, different places. Um, sorry, sorry if we got you in trouble by outing your political leaning, Leah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's an impression I got from her and her friends is, is that you do have places where actually, yeah, liberal left people are kind of writing what they think right wing people or right-wing views want to see which is ironic i suppose back to the point about the bbc so is the bbc right-wing generally does it have a lean right-wing uh, well i kind of i hear it's like not harsh enough from the tories i yeah that's but is, is that the more is, is that they you know this linica thing is an example of their version of neutrality was you can't speak up against the tories and actually in this case I think yeah and actually it's like, like well no, the media like neutrality might mean speaking the um, job of the media in general is is to be the fourth pillar of government right got hold, you got you hold people to account not if you think you know believe noam chomsky's view of manufacturing consent is correct <laughs> a thought though might this be more a factor of in the uk we've had a conservative right-wing government in power for about 10 or 12 years now which is one of the longest like continuous stretches the annoying thing for me it's same for you this is pretty much exactly overlapped with the entirety of my voting life so my vote has not mattered at all for my entire life yeah i've not yeah i've not voted no, anything to power for the yeah. last 12 years yeah. so but my point there is is this more a symptom of like the symbiotic relationship between government and media where like, you know, if you cozy up to government, you're more likely to get the scoop. You're more likely to, you know, if they think that you're going to write favorably about them, they're more likely to talk to you and promote the story that you're putting out there, et cetera, et cetera. Or is it a right wing leaning within the this specific media outlet, which is a government outlet effectively? I actually have no idea. 
I couldn't tell you. Okay. Well, it's something to consider, listener. It's definitely something to consider. One thing I'd say just to sort of close the BBC point is, and this is one of my favorite phrases lately, I keep using it all the time. I think the fact that perfect neutrality is hard to achieve is, like you said, not a reason not to strive for it in some form or other. You don't want the great to be the enemy of the good. Uh, that yeah, being my phrase. You, I have heard you say that yeah. recently. What was the context? You said that to me. I say it all the time. <laughs> oh, it was, it, was a Greta, it was a Greta Thunberg episode. It um, was, actually. I think I used it in that uh, You know what? Because I, I, the BBC but is the great, the generally great being quite the enemy respected, of the good. right, uh, for, for doing a good job. And I, where they mess up is like, you know, you'll have, you'll have the base. Well, this, this is an example of the messing up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You're, you're, uh, I mean, I'm trying to but even then, there's a market correction. <laughs> yeah, there are examples of, I don't know, uh, let's say, is this a good one? Like, sort of vaccinations, would balance be to have an anti-vax versus a sort of pro-vax person you, or would you, it be you. to look at yeah i mean the classic example of climate change is if yeah, nine out of ten uh, scientists agree that climate change is real should you have one person for and one person against yeah, exactly which which i think wouldn't actually be a fair representation of neutrality because that makes the spectrum look like it's i understand your point divided. i understand your point so like maybe i guess the way that you can do it is aim for neutrality but you know try and address the ways that you're not perfect and, and openly have that discussion which i don't know it's hard as a media outlet to undo your credibility on the good uh, good enemy the great that i don't know great, on the, the one enemy, the good. great the enemy the good i understand that but you also the fact that you're roughly going in the right way is not a reason to not improve or to not hold yourself to a higher standard where you draw those lines is you know, depends a bit i think that's probably not a bad place to wrap up the hot take section of this episode we do actually get quite a lot of listeners who write in and say oh i'd like for you guys to discuss xyz and we don't have time to do full episodes on all of them but can share some of the stuff here they might make hot take episodes for those that we find particularly interesting or you guys say that let us know you find particularly interesting we can always pick them up as actual episodes so a recent one from katarina katarina pina who we've been chatting with a bit on instagram around the moral duty of speaking up or i think a, a relevant context that people might have heard this recently is uh, anti-racism when it's not enough to simply be against something when you need to actively fight something a low stakes example she gives is a racist uncle at christmas dinner you know you're not going to change their mind you'll annoy the whole family and ruin the meal Maybe it's not worth speaking up, but do you have a moral responsibility to? Because it's the right thing to do. A very everyday question. Well, yeah. not literally everyday, but it's, yeah. it's a very relatable. Yes. And then other examples might be, for example, in the workplace where um, you may have a responsibility to speak up and you can see some argument that like this might affect change, but maybe it doesn't suit your own motives that much. Maybe maybe you don't want to piss off your boss by dubbing them in for something that maybe they hadn't meant negatively or all the way to super high stakes like a journalist in Russia or a victim of assault. And then here's another one. Uh, this is basically a bit of a rephrasing of something that I'd mentioned on that episode, but is there a moral duty to call out minor inconsistencies or failures in a movement if it might put in peril the otherwise important and genuine results of the movement? Ah, so like the Greta episode right so th yeah it's in reference to that i think so so specifically what i was saying there were like even if greta's overall movement is good and i generally agree with her should we still apply some moral scrutiny and be like wait no but this thing that you said <laughs> like mm, the problem yeah. is like obviously that's a nuanced opinion and a lot of people can't handle nuance um it's so an interesting one though because it is as you say she puts it really well with like do you, you don't want that to imperil the whole movement so when you call out something like that as an inconsistency yeah you're not saying <laughs> everything she stands for is worthless but you are saying this particular aspect was incorrect, but that yeah. has the risk of being interpreted in a way. Yeah, that sometimes it's it, it, like really is, slam the brakes. It's up. actually like a consequentialism thing where it's like, is the negative impact on this movement just because people can't absorb nuance worth the you know making sure? Like I was saying in that episode, people aren't doing the right thing for the wrong reasons because not to be Gary Lineker here, but like that's how people ended up supporting the Nazis, <laughs> right? You just you're kind of going along, you're not really assessing things properly, you're doing the right thing for the wrong reasons, and suddenly like 
you can't really talk people out of it because they're no longer using reason as the, the way that they are coming to their decisions for things. Other examples, this is from Jordan, is the name on their account. Do we moralize and should we moralize health? Is being unhealthy immoral? If you're eating a ton of uh, fast food, are you being immoral? Or, you know, is that is that kind of your choice? This is definitely an episode we should come to because there's yes. so many good studies on this. And the one that always makes me laugh when you oh, the, the smoking, the smoking one. one, where yes. the smoking company actually argued that they were benefiting public health because people were dying, dying younger. younger and therefore not becoming a drain on the state <laughs> yes. when they grew older. And obviously that uh, didn't land particularly well. But yes. funny from a purely economic point of view. This is funny. Is smoking immoral because it kind of hurts other people too? Brackets. Secondhand smoking. French is a shit language. Other people get very upset when you get lung cancer. <laughs> I just, I really enjoyed that middle bit. <laughs> What's the relevance? <laughs> French people smoke, I suppose, a lot. Um, and I just love, it's so true that I, like, it's, it's the expression I always hear. It's like, France is excellent. Like the food is amazing. The, the, like, the country is amazing. The only problem is the French. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fun privilege of being British. That yes. You get to um, joke about the French. Here's another one. Should the government be allowed to create laws that limit portion sizes in schools and restaurants? Mm. Kind of similar to the moralizing of health, I think. Like a sub-question of that. But yes, those are all good. And then there was a there was another one recently where it was, um, why do we stigmatize our bodies as animals? Uh, you know, why is being naked in public or even having sex in public a stigmatized thing? Which I suppose it's funny because like when you first hear it, it's like, that's ridiculous. But then you think about it a bit more. I mean, for example, this sounds funny, but like if you cough, well, actually, post-COVID world, not so much, but I don't know. If you, like, wipe your nose or whatever, no one's particularly bothered by that, right? But why is why is farting disgusting, <laughs> right? This, well, actually, because it smells bad. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's next to nothing. But yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, the point is we have a lot of things that are heavily socialized and actually, like, our negative reactions to them don't need to exist. I personally probably don't have the view that we should all be having sex in public and walking around naked, but I could see that, like, our views around them are or the way that the way that we would think it's disgusting or negative is socialized that was a question that recently was uh, mentioned to us it's an interesting case of where yeah morality is maybe based more on your socialization than than necessarily being a moral actual undertone to the question right yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It, like is relativism it it, it, yeah maybe i mean the fact that we don't all have sex in public i mean now it becomes a moral behavior because that's the social norm and it would yeah. be at this point immoral you'd be to just start doing a, it you'd be, yeah offending offending yeah. people but but it's not particularly begin, it's not particularly gross know? for people to a hug in public, hold hands, kiss. And I mean, the relevant thing, or I suppose the way to phrase this into a more relatable or, or uh, you know, family-friendly question would be free the nip. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, they're genuinely like, you know, why Why have we so severely sexualized? And even if it is sexualized, what's the problem? Like we encounter people all day, every day who we find attractive and like mm. we deal with that without it being a problem, right? Like why is it, uh, men can be topless. Why is it a problem if women are topless? This is the whole point they're making because, you know, men topless can be attractive to women like that it why is this any different uh i for one all good questions all good questions we were clearing a bit of a backlog there but we encourage you send something through we'll look at it in a hot tech question and then we'll talk about one or two every couple weeks in more depth cool guys well yeah see you next time yeah thank you for listening maybe, maybe um, we'll try and post this on a tuesday just so it can be hot take tuesday hot take tuesday that sounds good that's got a nice ring yes. to it. um guys another thing please if you do enjoy the show if you enjoyed the show and you're listening on spotify or, or apple or whatever give it a follow apple listeners haven't had um written reviews on apple for a while and it makes us sad mm. and the other thing is share the show we don't do guests we don't do marketing gimmicks and stuff so the best way for this to grow is honestly for you to share it if you think that what we've said has any value just share it with some friends any value at all literally any <laughs> thanks for listening and speak to you next time speak to you next time bye guys